0: Hallelujah. Well, praise God. So today, I hope you guys have your thinking caps on and you're ready to listen. Because today, the Lord put something in my heart. I'm going to teach about the rapture of the church today. It's something that, you know, honestly, it interests me. And it's very important that you understand this. But it's hard to teach about it. There's a whole lot when it comes to end times eschatology in the Bible there is a lot to study there's a lot to understand there's a lot to know and it can be difficult reading the Bible and and I want to tell you there's probably not any more controversy in the body of Christ than there is over eschatology the different views of end time theology what it's gonna what's gonna happen when it's gonna happen where it's gonna happen who it's gonna happen with different things like that so I told the Lord I said Lord do I really have to teach on this? And he just put it in my spirit so strong that we needed to talk about the, the rapture of the, of the church. And I want you to understand this because did you know I grew up my whole life and I did not understand that the rapture and the second coming of the Lord were two different events. I didn't know that. Maybe some of you are like, well, duh, I've known that my whole life. Well, I grew up in church and never knew that. I thought that the second coming of Christ was the rapture. I thought that they were the same. They were synonymous. Uh, They're not. They're two separate events. And it's so important because if you understand what the Bible says about the second coming of the Lord, you can look around at the world. And I heard Brother Tiff Shuttlesworth say this. He said, the world's not falling apart. It's falling into place. This world right now, you think this is crazy what's going on. It's not falling apart. It's falling right into place with what the Bible prophesied thousands of years ago what would take place. So you can look around and see how all of these things prophetically taking place and then realize how close with what Jesus said, how close we are to the second coming of the Lord. Well, then if you understand how close we are to the second coming of the Lord and then you understand Bible doctrine in regards to the rapture, your jaw will about hit the ground because you'll understand how close we are to the rapture of the church. Uh, and And it needs to light a fire inside of every Christian. So, turn to Matthew chapter 24. I hope you guys are ready today. This isn't going to just be a service. We have different types of things, guys. I'm telling you, this morning, you come in here and you'll, have, you'll be in a teaching service. And then like last Sunday night, it, it's a whole 20 bodies laying across the floor, laughing in the joy of the Holy Ghost. People running around the room. That's great. Uh, but it's not like we just have to do one thing, you know, and stick with it. Well, we just have to, we just have to do that every service. No, we just listen to the Holy ghost. And this morning he wants to teach us about something from the word. So Matthew 24, one through three, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. I want to say this, I have a lot of material to cover, so write some notes, If you need to revisit something, just write down the references. So he was leaving the temple grounds. His disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top the other. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when this will happen. So look at this. There's three questions that Jesus is going to answer. So you have to understand these three questions to properly read and and discern Matthew chapter 24. Because you can get really confused in what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and how it's going to happen if you don't understand these three questions. So they ask Jesus three separate questions. And it's this. When will all of this happen? Number one. Number two. What sign will signal the return and the end of the world? So that's actually split into two questions there. I'm going to give you these three questions that they asked. When will all this happen? Or in other words, when will Jerusalem be destroyed? When will the temple be destroyed? That's the first question they asked Jesus, right? In context, Jesus was in the temple, and as he was leaving, they were looking at this big, magnificent temple, and Jesus said, this temple that you see right now will be completely destroyed, not one stone left on top of the other. So the first question they ask Jesus is, "When will this happen? When will the temple be destroyed?" Jesus actually does not answer that question in Matthew chapter twenty-four. Jesus answers the the question of the destruction of Jerusalem in Luke chapter twenty-one, which we're not going to get to today. And so I'm, uh, the reason that that's important for you to understand this is that I've heard many people not understand what I'm telling you right now and they actually believe that Jesus returned in his second coming when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 a d they believe, that's a that's a common bible doctrine and you know what if you don't understand the scripture it can be convincing a little bit that, that basically the and then but then they get into all this weird stuff that we are it's like we're already in the new kingdom now i mean if you get into that you're totally missing it you're like if this is the new kingdom man I got gypped big time <laughs> People are still sick. People are still sinning. People are still dying. This is not the new kingdom. So obviously something's wrong with that type of thinking. That's not correct. It's because they don't understand that there's three separate questions. He addressed the destruction of Jerusalem and then the sign of his second coming. And then thirdly, what will happen in your second coming? So the second question that they asked in verse 3 of Matthew 24 is what will be the sign Of your coming so basically when you return what 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 will what will be happening on the earth as a sign to know that your coming is near and then number three what will happen when you come jesus answers the second question what will be the sign of your coming in verse 4 through 26 of matthew 24 and verse 37 through 39 and then what will happen when you come jesus answers that question in verses 27 through 31 Of Matthew 24, verses 40 through 51 of Matthew 24, and then Matthew 25, 1 through 46. So basically, the entire chapter of Matthew 25 is answering the question of what will happen when you come again. If you guys can, this is a little echoey. Can you fix that for me? So I want you to understand this. This is going to be very pivotal for you to understand what I'm going to say to you today. In the Bible, there are two appearances. Of Jesus two appearances of Jesus number one there is the coming of Jesus to the air which is what the rapture so the Bible teaches that Jesus is going to return but in the rapture which we'll talk about that in a moment what is the rapture the rapture is the catching away of the saints So the Bible teaches that Jesus will come, but he won't actually. Do you know that when when the rapture takes place, Jesus won't step foot on the physical earth? His foot will never touch the ground. He will be in the air, and we will be caught up to meet him in the air. Hallelujah. So the Bible teaches that Jesus will appear in the air, number one. This is the rapture. Jesus comes in the air not to... Uh, Jesus comes in the air to gather the saints. So the first scripture I want to read to you is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. I'm going to prove these two comings to you in the Bible. I told you I hope you have your thinking caps on today. 1 Thessalonians chapter four thirteen says, "Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like the people that have no hope." Y'all, I want to tell you this is I love this verse of scripture. Believers' funerals should not be like the rest of the world's funerals. He says you should not grieve like the rest of the world, the rest of the people that have no hope. The believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these two with these words. So you got to understand this. The Bible says that there will be an event that takes place where Jesus Christ appears in the air, and there will be two trumpet blasts. You'll hear the whole world will will witness this. There will be two blasts of the trumpet. And what will take place in the first one is when the first trumpet is blasted, that all of those that are believers that have died, but the Bible says they didn't really die, they've just fallen asleep, will raise from their grave. Hallelujah. Guys, let that comfort you. You know, if you're alive when the rapture takes place, you're not just going to meet your 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 spouse, your family, your mother, your aunt, your uncle, the person that you've loved that died a believer in Jesus Christ. You're not just going to meet them in heaven one day. If you're still on this earth, you will watch their physical body rise up out of the grave and you'll see them in their physical form just like I see Miss Kim standing in front of me. So that means that when a believer, someone that has died, you don't have to shed tears. You can shed tears because they're going on a a vacation for a short while. You will see them again, and it won't be in some spiritual heaven. You'll see them physically on this earth. When the trumpet is blown, they will resurrect from the grave. Hallelujah. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that bring you hope and joy? And now I don't have to just, when someone passes away, how can I live on this earth? No. You know what? I love you, and I'll see you soon, but I still have things to do on this earth. I always. I hope my wife would get that, that if anything, and it won't, the devil can't kill me, according to the word of God. I'm on assignment. Amen. Amen. I need y'all's participation this morning. Amen. But if anything were to ever happen, hypothetically, you know what? I'm not I'm not gone. My body just goes in the grave for a short while, and when that trumpet is blasted, I'm coming out of that grave. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 I love that song. If he walked out of the grave, I'm walking to a following Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm coming out of the grave. And then it says, what will happen? We're going to get to this in just a moment. There will be another blast of the trumpet, and everyone who's still alive on the earth that's a believer in Christ will be transformed in an instant and receive a glorified body. And then, together with those that have been resurrected, we will meet Christ in the air. Hallelujah. We'll go together and meet Jesus. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Do you guys see that? Okay. So look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15:23 through 26. It says this, but there but there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Wow. Did you know that even God, we talk about seed time and harvest, even God, how I tell you, you cannot get anything from the Lord apart from seed time and harvest. I don't know if I really believe that. Really? In order for God to have a harvest of sons and daughters on the earth, he had to sow a son to get a son. Guess what? God didn't send an angel, did he? He sent his one and only son. You know why? Because if he would have sowed an angel, you know what he would have gotten? Angels. Jesus was the first harvest of the resurrected. But God sowed his one and only son as a seed so that it would go forth and produce a harvest of sons and daughters. But look at this Jesus. It says there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Praise you, Lord Jesus. So this is also interesting. We can understand what will that look like. Well, basically when we're raised and we're transformed into our glorified bodies, we're going to be just like Jesus was post-resurrection. When they saw Jesus in, in res, after he had resurrected from the grave, they, Thomas touched his body. They touched the holes in his hand and in his side. He ate with them. In fact, he appeared to them on the shore, and he cooked them breakfast, right? So he wasn't just some spirit floating around. He was physical, but yet it says that he walked through the wall and appeared where they were sitting. So how does that happen? He was physical, but he was not like third dimensional. He was, he was, greater, he was a greater dimensional being. So that basically shows you Jesus was the first harvest. He was the picture of what me and you will be like when that trumpet blows. You wonder, will I be able to recognize people in heaven? Yes, you will. You'll look like you, but you'll look like a perfect version of you that was never touched by illness, never touched by age, never touched by stress or worry. You'll look glorified. You'll look beautiful. You'll look amazing. Hallelujah. 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 And that's the hope that we have that, you know what? Cancer is not from God. It's from the devil, and we have authority over it. But for whatever reason, either a lack of faith or... Uh, on on one of the two parties i people pass away from it but it, it, you know what when that happens you don't blame god and try to change his word you stand firm on the word no i know this came from hell i know that this wasn't your will but i have this hope that when that trumpet blows my brother my sister my mom my my father my my family member that passed away in christ they will be resurrected into glory Hallelujah. They're not going to be eaten up, malnourished, deformed. They're going to look glorified. And I'll be able to touch them and hold them and and see them and speak to them. Hallelujah. So, this is encouraging to me. Well, I don't grieve like other people grieve. And it says, after that, after Christ died, it says, "Will be raised when we." Uh, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when He comes back. And after that, say after that. So after this trumpet is blown and this resurrection takes place, where we meet Christ in the end. After that, the end will come, when He will return. Turn the kingdom over to the Father, having destroyed every ruler in authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all of his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I'm going to give you a timeline. I'm not teaching on all of this this morning. But what will take place is the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ the seven years of tribulation. Immediately following the rapture will be the seven years of tribulation where the Antichrist rises into political and military power. You see this persecution of Israel. Uh, I'm not going to get into all of the other things that pertain to that, but after that seven years, Christ will come back in his second coming, physically return to the earth with the saints where where the, the devil will be put into captivity for a time, but there will be a, a thousand years On this earth, the thousand year rule and reign of Christ, where we rule and reign with Him. I don't think people really understand this, but do you understand that in the parable of the three servants, Jesus gave them talents? And when they took what He gave them and multiplied it, when they were standing face to face with their master and He gave them their reward, He said, You've been faithful with little, now you'll govern ten cities, five cities. He used the word cities. Wow, think about that. Did you know that in the millennial reign, we will rule with Christ on this earth? Not on a new, like some spiritual, no, on this planet we'll rule and reign with Christ. And you know what? You you have a reward. You know what your reward will be? Cities. Hallelujah. I prophesy there will be governors in this room. That when you come back, you're not coming back and just as some, some slave and peasant. You'll have You'll have entire territories that you govern because it's your reward for what you did on this earth. Hallelujah, Lord. Me me and Kenneth Hagen will have to fight for governor over Texas. No, he's done. I'm just totally joking right now. He blows me out of the water, that's for sure. But I still have a lot of life to live on the earth. Thank you, Jesus. But you think like that. I think like that. And that's what the Bible talks about. We don't live for this world. There's a heavenly prize that awaits us. Paul said, I'm not just shadowing boxing. I'm not just doing this for nothing. He said, I run to win the race. I want. I run to possess the prize. What was the prize? It's the reward and eternity. And you guys know this, but even when you study the ministry of Jesus, the parables, the one I just mentioned, the three servants, God's not a socialist. You know, everybody doesn't get the same thing in heaven. You know, the Bible says that at the believer's judgment, our life will be tried by fire. And that there will be some that will receive a reward for the things that they've done. And there will be others that escape the fire. They go into heaven, but like somebody barely escaping through the flames. They'll enter into eternity, and they won't go to hell, but they'll have nothing to show for their life on this earth. And if you say, well, that sounds pretty good to me, man, that's a scary, scary place to live right there. Well, I'm good at riding that line and doing the absolute minimal that I can do to still kind of make heaven, but I may not have anything waiting for me when I get there. That's a scary, horrible line. You know, those, peop- those, those spots of those that barely escape through the flames, those spots are not reserved for the saints that have had a lifetime to bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth. Those spots are reserved for like the thief on the cross, who gave their lives to Jesus in their last in their last moment. He didn't have time to hop off the cross and go and go gain credit to his account in eternity, but he still entered in, but he had nothing to show for it. Hallelujah! So if you think, well, I'm here, I'm, I'm alive today and I still have life in in me and I'm hearing the gospel, I'm hearing the word of God today, and I'm going to choose to do nothing about it and to do nothing with it and then still enter into heaven and have no reward whatsoever but barely enter in like someone escaping the flame, I'm not going to tell you that you're not going to heaven. I'm telling you that's extremely foolish and stupid and, and a very dangerous place to live. Praise God. So 1 Corinthians 15, 50, uh, 51 through 58, just skip down to verse 51. It says this, but let me reveal to you in a, a wonderful secret, we will not die, but we will all be transformed. Hallelujah. You know, the believer never dies. That's why if you even read in your modern translations that those have died, there's always a little asterisk next to it. And when you look at it, it says, fallen asleep. Believers don't die. Hallelujah. Well, I'll actually say this. Everybody has eternal life, but you're going to spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. That's right. We will live after this. After this life, we will live. But where we live, there's two places. We'll either be with Jesus or we'll be in hell. But you don't just close your eyes and go to sleep and then fade into the dark abyss and cease to exist. That's not what the Bible says. In one, listen to this. Oh, hear me. In one billion years from now, you will be in one of two places. You will either be in your reward with Jesus Christ or you will be in suffering agony in hell. A billion years. And a billion years after that, you'll, you'll be in one of two places, either with the Lord Jesus Christ or you'll be in hell. You know, it's not a slap, hell's not a slap on a wrist, it's eternity. It's eternity. That's not something I want to play games with. 51 through 58, it says, we'll all be transformed and it'll happen in a moment in a blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. So again, that second trumpet, there's two trumpets, Jesus comes down into the air And then you'll see, everybody will see him appear in the sky, and a trumpet will blow. And the first trumpet, the dead will rise. The second trumpet will be transformed into our glorified bodies. In a moment, that fast, hallelujah. I mean, it ain't going to be some big old process like a butterfly going into a cocoon. In a split second, you'll be transformed. When the last trumpet's blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And, and we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into our, glo- our bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. The law gives it, sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Just a quick reference here, 2 Thessalonians 2.1, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. So again, there's two appearances of Jesus. Number one, Jesus appears in the air. That's the rapture of the church. You see that? Now let's go to number two, the second coming. When the Bible talks about the second coming of the Lord, it's not talking about the rapture. It's talking about the physical coming of Jesus on this earth. And I'm going to show you this, Matthew 24, 3. So it's important that you understand what we just read in Matthew 24 to open the sermon that Jesus is answering the question not just about the rapture, but they're asking him about setting up his kingdom, the second coming of the Lord. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let's clear some, clarify some things about the coming of our Lord. Oh, I'm sorry, Matthew 24, 3. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when this will happen. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? The end of the world takes place in the final judgment after the 1,000-year millennial reign. That's the end of the world. Because when we rule and reign with Christ on this earth, this, it's still this earth. It's still this timeline. It's still all of what we see here. Amen? So the second coming is the final battle. Jesus establishes his, his physical kingdom. Where Satan will be judged, death will be thrown into the lake of fire. But let me continue here. Look at Jude 1, 14 through 15. It says, Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The point I want you to see here is the Lord is coming with countless thousands of the holy ones. You know who that is? That's us. That's us. That's why it's important for you to understand. If the second coming and the rapture were the same thing, how could that happen? No, apparently that when he comes in the second coming, we will have already been with him and we come back with him. Hallelujah. That Jesus comes back and, and his anger and wrath is poured out on the earth and we don't come back as angels floating around. We come back riding horses behind him to destroy the enemies of the Lord. (laughs) <laughs> Look at Revelation 19, 11 through 21. I'm going to read you just 10 verses here. Thank you, Jesus. So that's the important distinction that you need to make is in the second coming, we come back with him. Hallelujah. So get this, we're raptured, we meet him in the air, we go into the third heaven with him in our glorified state, in our glorified body. The devil, the Antichrist, have seven years on this earth to do what he's gonna do, and then Jesus Christ comes back, and we come back with him. And we kick that sucker out, we rule and reign on this earth with Christ for a thousand years, and then the final judgment takes place. Revelation chapter 19. You know, why am I preaching this? And I hope that you young people, the Lord really told me to preach this because I never heard this when I was your age. I never heard any of this. And people just live for this life. And this life is fleeting. It's, it's here today. It's gone tomorrow. A day with the Lord is like a 1,000 years to a man. And it, can you imagine that? Francis Chan did a powerful illustration one time. He took a rope that was, I mean, that sucker had to have been a mile long. And he painted the very end of this rope. He painted about that much. And he said, you don't understand. This is your life, this little section. And then he grabbed the rope and he just started pulling. He said, this is eternity. And he kept pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling. And he said, what you do in this determines how you spend the rest of this. It doesn't only determine where you spend eternity. It determines how you spend eternity because we all don't receive the same reward. Hallelujah. So in Revelation nineteen eleven through 21. When I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there, its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Who is that? Jesus. His eyes were like flames of fire, praise God. And on his head were many crowns. And a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and the, and his title was the Word of God. Well, who is the Word of God? Jesus. The Bible says in the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You guys understand this picture? Think about this. Jesus, he's not just some, you know, European-looking guy with long brown hair, the, the, the soft and... He comes back. He's got a robe dipped in blood. He's not coming back to play games. He wears a crown on his head. He carries a sword. (laughs) His eyes are like flames of fire. And look, the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. Praise God. That's us. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod, and he'll release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. When I saw an angel standing in the sun shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of the kings, the generals, and the strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. And it says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. So get this. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. So this is this battle taking place where you have the person of the Antichrist waging war. You know, and historically, I'm not going to get into all of this, but there will be nations rise up that go to attack, that do invasions on Israel. Israel. You have to understand how this prophetically lines up. There will be nations that rise up, and that the Antichrist will will be the leader of this alliance that attacks the people of Israel. And then their final attack, it says that Israel will look utterly defeated because they're the small little nation, and they'll be facing the 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 an army of the of the whole earth coming together to attack Israel. But before they can be defeated the Lord appears and fights the battle. Hallelujah. And then there you'll have the Antichrist, you'll have all these world powers, you'll have all these kings, all these high, mighty, thinking people that are there to attack his people, and he just utterly, with the people of God, utterly appears from heaven and destroys all of them. Hallelujah. And the beast was captured, and with, with him a false, the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast... The miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who had worshiped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp word that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. You say, man, that's pretty morbid, but it's the reality of what's going to happen. Think about that. You know, Jesus, he's not going to have to strong harm the, arm the devil. You know, I don't think this battle is really going to look like Braveheart where we're all running and fighting and swords. It says he, he, he destroyed them with the sword, the word that came out of his mouth. So think about all these high and mighty people that exalt themselves over the Lord, how strong they are, how fortified they are, the, the Antichrist and all Jesus does is speak the word out of his mouth, and they're all destroyed. Hallelujah. And we get to sit back with him and watch it happen. Praise God. Hopefully this is encouraging to you. It is to me. I'm going to read you real quick Zechariah 14, 1 through 5. It says, watch out for the day of the Lord is coming when your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. I'll gather the nations to fight against Jerusalem. That's exactly what I was just talking about. I'll gather the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses looted, the women raped, half of the population will be taken into captivity, and the rest will be left among the ruins of the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he's fought in times past. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. That's where Jesus is, is coming down in his second coming. He's not coming to New York City. He will appear when he comes in the second coming and stand his feet on the Mount of Olives in Israel, east of Jerusalem. And it says, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north and uh, half towards the south. You will flee through this valley, for it will reach across Azal." Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquakes in the days of King Uzziah and Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and his holy ones with him. That's us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, now I'm going to tie some things together. Are you all okay? I had to lay this foundation for you to understand scripturally the difference between those two events. You see those two different, they're very different, aren't they? In the rapture, the catching away of the church, and the second coming of the Lord. So when you're you're building Bible doctrine and end-time theology, you must make those distinctions. Because if you don't, you'll get messed up in what you believe. Matthew 24, 27 through 44, we're going to read this. This is how it shall be when he comes. Jesus answered the question, what will it be like? What is the sign of your coming? And then how will it be when you come? It's a paraphrase, but for us to understand. So he says this, for as the lightning flashes in the east and shines in the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as gathering vultures show that there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens and earth will be shaken. And then at last, the sign of the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with the power with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with the mighty blast of the trumpet. They'll gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth to the heavens. Now learn this lesson. I want you to see this in verse 32. This is going to be extremely important. Learn this lesson. If you're right, taking notes, write this down. Write it. Learn the lesson of the fig tree. Verse 32. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, When you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. Verse 34, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. People completely miss this, but Jesus was speaking prophetically here. I want you to say fig tree. If you read scripture, the fig tree represents... Israel. If you I'm gonna give you these references and I'm not gonna read these all to you, but in Hosea 9:10, in Jeremiah 24, and Jeremiah 8:13, and Micah 4.4, every single one of these references describe Israel as the fig tree. So think of that sign. When you see the fig tree bud, that's extremely important. As a sign of the second coming of the Lord. So the fig tree represents what? Israel. The people Israel. So I'm going to give you, turn your Bible over to Luke 13, 6 through 9. I'm going to read you two quick passages. We've almost arrived, guys. We're almost there. Hallelujah. Luke 13, 6 through 9 says this. Jesus told this parable of the barren fig tree. Who was this representative of? Israel. The people Israel. Jesus said, a man planted a fig tree in his garden, and he came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years, and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. Say, three years. Three years. What does this prophetically align with? The ministry of Jesus Christ. How long was he on this earth? How long was his ministry on this earth? For three years. The Lord planted this fig tree, which all throughout Scripture represents Israel, and what Jesus is saying is for three years I've done signs, I've done miracles, I've done wonders, I've cast out devils, I've resurrected the dead, I've came again and again and again to see if this fig tree would bear fruit. Finally, the master says, cut it down. It's taking up space. Jesus said, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year. I'll give it special attention, plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. Well, the fourth year, you know what happened historically? The fourth year, the the church was born in the book of Acts in in Jerusalem. Revival spread through Jerusalem where multitudes were getting saved. Signs, wonders, and miracles were being done. Special attention. You know, it's actually funny. Think about the special attention. Jesus said, you'll do even greater things than I did. Did you know that in the book of Acts, in Peter's ministry in Jerusalem, they would bring their sick out and lay them on the, on the sides of the road so that his shadow could pass over them. And even as his shadow passed over the sick, they were being healed. Jesus never did that one time. Jesus never did that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. That was a greater miracle Jesus had never done. His shadow never healed anybody that we have record of. So that was special attention. There was these miracles still taking place, a revival that happened in Jerusalem that started the church age. You see this? The master said, but if it doesn't produce fruit, cut it down. Cut that fig tree down. Who's the fig tree? Israel. Let me show you Matthew 23. Are y'all getting this this morning? Matthew 23, 29 through 36. Man, you say, I don't know if I like all this. Well, you could have went to another church that would teach you seven lessons on how to make sure your cat has a proper flea bath. 29 through 36. Look what Jesus says here. Oh, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed, and you decorate the monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. So I want you to think about this. Israel was the fig tree. God not only sent Jesus before Jesus, God throughout Israel's history sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to warn them, to turn them, to turn their hearts back to the Lord. What did they do? They killed them. They rejected them a time and time again until God finally sent his son, Jesus Christ. And what did they do to him? Crucified him. So Jesus is pronouncing judgment over them. He says... You decorate these monuments that, that your ans- of the prophets your ancestors killed. Verse 30, then you say, if we would have lived in the days of our ancestors, we would have never joined in killing the prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you indeed are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started, which is what? Killing the son. Right? That's finishing what what their ancestors started by killing the prophets. You see that? Snakes, you son and vipers, how will you escape the judgment of hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of religious law, but you will kill some by crucifixion. You'll flog others with whips in your synagogues, chasing them from city to city. Look at this, guys. Verse 35. As a result, you, who? Them. Them. They. You will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people from all time, from the murder of righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Berkiah, from uh, whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. Verse 36, I tell you the truth, this judgment, what judgment? God holding them responsible for killing the prophets and ultimately killing the Son of God. You... I tell you the truth, this judgment will fall on this very generation. And then God goes in to say in the very next verse, 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Now now look, your house is abandoned and desolate, for I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, blessings are the one that comes in the name of the Lord. So let's even be more specific here. Jesus said, this judgment of all of these deaths and rejection of the Lord will come on this generation, and then, and then he takes it the next step further. And where will it come? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Say Jerusalem. This generation, so basically Jesus said, there was a judgment that was coming to that generation, to Jerusalem, that that generation would see with their very own eyes. Are y'all following all this? Let me ask you this question then. Most people, most Christians, and it's sad to say, I didn't either, don't understand. What? Did you know that that historically happened? We don't have any record of it in our Bible because all of the Bible was written up until 67 to 69 A.D. The book of Revelation written between 67 to 69 A.D. That was the last Bible. Book. Paul died right before this date that I'm about to tell you. But do you know what happened in 70 A.D.? Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. The temple, guess what happened? Not, the temple was destroyed by the Romans and not one stone was left t- turned on top of the other. What did Jesus say in Matthew 24? This that you see, there will not be one stone left on top of the other. Jesus prophesied that. Do you know when he prophesied that? Between 30 and 33 AD, because his ministry was, appro- he was approximately 30 years old when he started his ministry, and he, he was in ministry for three years. This generation, say generation, do you know how many years a generation is in, in the Hebrew culture? 40 years. 30 AD plus 40 years is what? 70 AD. Down to the year, down to the generation. Within this generation, Jerusalem will be judged and destroyed by the Lord. Why am I telling you all of this? What happened in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed? The fig tree was cut down. Do you see that? Why is that significant to what I'm telling you this morning? We'll turn back to Matthew chapter 24. Learn this lesson, verse 32. When the fig tree begins to bud and sprout, you'll know that the summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know that the return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation, what generation? The generation that was present when uh, that when they see the fig tree bud will not pass before all these things come past. All of what things? Matthew chapter 24. He talks about the second coming of the Lord. He talks about the Antichrist. He talks about the rapture in certain places. So... I hope I'm not losing you here. I told you, I hope you put your thinking caps on. I'm about to wrap this up this morning. You know, You may not understand the significance, but did you know? So think about this. Jesus is saying that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The fig tree is going to be cut down. But when you see the fig tree, which is who? Israel. Bud, that generation that's present will not pass before all these things take place. When did Jerusalem, when did Israel begin to bud? On May 14, 1948, for the first time since Jesus spoke these words nearly 2,000 years ago, Israel was declared a sovereign nation. All throughout history, Israel had always been dominated and governed by another world power. And for the first time... In in its history, since Jesus even spoke these words, Israel in 1948, May 14th, was declared a sovereign nation. Guess what happened? Jews from all around the world began to flood back to their home country. For the first time, the the Israelites, the tribes that had been scattered, began to return back home, just as the Bible prophesied. Guess what? The world's not falling apart. It's falling into place. So the fig tree began to bud in 1948. Well, let's take it another step forward. Did you know that in 2017, President Donald Trump declared Jerusalem as the capital, once again, of Israel? Did you know that when Jesus Christ, that had to happen. When Jesus Christ returns, Jerusalem will not only be the capital, the headquarters of Israel, it will be the headquarters of the entire planet. But it couldn't be the headquarters of anything until it was first restored. In 2017, Donald Trump restored Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. You know, it happened in December of 2017. Get, get this. May 14th of 2017, the United States officially recognized it. Why is that date significant? May 14th, 1948 was when it was birthed as a nation once again. Seventy years later to the day, Jerusalem was restored as its capital. Are you all still with me? So you need to understand this. Understand the lesson of the fig tree. What am I trying to get at? That was, how many years was that? Seventy, I had it written down. Seventy-four years is where we're at right now. Seventy-four years since the, since the fig tree began to bud. We'll go ahead and read all of Matthew chapter 24 where you see the second coming. Say the second coming. Is the second coming of the Lord the rapture? No, it's not. The second coming of the Lord's taught in Matthew 24, and he says that you shall see all these things take place when the, when the fig tree buds. That generation will not pass before all these things happen. If that was 74 years ago, how close are we to the second coming of Jesus Christ? Extremely, extremely close. Are you, are you seeing what I'm seeing here? Yes. Hallelujah. Now, this last verse, and I'm going to end with this, Second Thessalonians 2. Y'all said, John, this is way too much for a Sunday morning. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 8. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Do not be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim they have some spiritual wisdom or revelation or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. For the day of the Lord will not come until there is a great rebellion uh, against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. So again, the coming of the Lord, that's Christ coming in his physical kingdom. Two things must take place, the great rebellion and the Antichrist revealed. You see that? So if those two things must, if if the generation cannot pass before all these things take place, and that happened 74 years ago, and these two things must take place before he can come, the great rebellion and the revealing of the Antichrist, where does that show you we're at right now? Doesn't that give you some insight what the heck's going on in the world? Why are they arresting pastors in Canada? Why are they trying to lock down the world and seize our money and make us take these vaccine passport things? You see this, you see everything being set right now for all of this just falling prophetically into place with Revelation chapter 13. So, anyway, so he will exalt himself and defy every defy everything that God, that people of God, I'm sorry He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple. Say the temple. This is extremely important. You know what? What the problem is with this right now? There's no temple in Jerusalem. You know why? It was destroyed in 70 AD. So what must happen for this to prophetically take place? There must be construction of the third temple. You know what, I've been seeing headlines all over, all, all the time I see new headlines. They're, they're appointing priests, they've already designated certain spots in Jerusalem where they're doing animal sacrifices again and burnt offerings, and they're planning the reconstruction of the third temple in Jerusalem. Everything is prophetically falling right into place. I literally read an article, it was a priest and he was standing there and they had an animal tied down on this stone slab that they're already doing. The Jewish Old Testament blood sacrifices again in Jerusalem. She said her weird chin started quivering. <laughs> it says this. He'll even sit in the temple claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? And that you know what is holding him back? For he can be revealed only when his time comes. He's talking about the Antichrist. Verse 7. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly. Say secretly. And it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of his way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. But the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. I want to read verse 8 again. Then... All of this is at work secretly. Say secretly. So the Bible teaches in 1 John that not only will there be a person known as the Antichrist, it says that spirit's already at work now. So all of this, this work, this Antichrist, all of it's already at work right now among us. It's happening secretly. What does that mean? It's happening in secret political meetings. It's happening at round tables in, in foreign countries. It's happening in the United Nations. It's happening with governments, with ambassadors, with officials. They're plotting and planning. You think that this pandemic was by accident? No, it wasn't. In fact, even Dr. Fauci's people have come out and and, and clearly said that they believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that, that the, the, the virus was leaked from a lab, which everybody already knew. But do you remember back in 2020 that if you said that stuff, maybe not in Texas, but if you had any kind of political platform at all and you said that, they would remove your account from social media. They called Donald Trump xenophobic for saying that, that it came from Wuhan. It didn't come by accident. It wasn't a natural occurrence. It was leaked from a lab and they deserved to pay for it. That's what he said. Well, you know, you're You're a racist against Asian people. No, 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 no. (laughs) It's been at work secretly. I want you to say the restrainer. So verse 7, this lawlessness has already been at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who's holding it back, or if you have another translation, your Bible might use the word the restrainer, steps out of the way. Then what happens when the restrainer steps out of the way? The man of lawlessness will be revealed. Who is that? That's the beast. That's the Antichrist. Will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth. Here's my point. Say the restrainer. When you study this out, no. No, it's not the Holy Spirit because I'm going to prove. The Holy Spirit must be removed for the man to be revealed. So the Bible teaches that there's only three options that this could be. Number one, government. Number two, the Holy Ghost. Number three, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's ask this, let's break this down and think logically. Number one, will government be removed off of this earth? No, it won't. Revelation 13, everything the Antichrist does will be through government power. So government won't be removed off the earth. Number two, will the Holy Ghost be removed off of the earth? No, he won't because the Bible teaches that in the in, in the tribulation, people don't understand this, there will be 144,000 Jews saved from the 12 tribes of Israel. So the Bible says that nobody can call on the Lord except by the Spirit of God. So the Holy Ghost will not be pulled off of this earth. So that only leaves one logical conclusion, number three, which is what? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the catching away of the saints, Praise God. Now, doesn't it all make sense? The authority that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. Luke 10, 19, I have given you authority over all the power of the devil. The church is an authority over the devil. The devil, the antichrist cannot come to fruition until the church is off of the earth because we're the governing force and power on this earth. And the devil will spend all of his energy trying to teach you how weak you are, how defeated you are, you know, we just sit around worried about what they're planning, plotting and planning against us in Washington, D.C. Who cares? Who cares? You can't even bring your guy forward until we're gone. Hallelujah. Here's my point. So the church has to be removed, then the Antichrist will be revealed Then seven years of tribulation will take place. Then the second coming of the Lord will occur. Now listen to this. This generation that witnesses the fig tree budding will not pass until all these things take place. Seventy-four years ago, the fig tree budded. So how close are we not only to the second coming, how close are we to the rapture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, the, the thing that's, that's crazy about the rapture is there's no signs of the rapture in the Bible. The Bible says that it'll happen, I mean, in a moment. In a moment. There's no indicators of, well, we know that the Lord's about to rapture the church because the Bible said this and this and this must happen first. There's absolutely no indicators. That means that it could happen tomorrow. We could be raptured. I don't believe that it will because I believe I could probably teach you a whole nother series this week on how the Bible prophesies end time revival before all of this takes place. A great outpouring of the Holy Ghost. One more mighty move of God on the earth before the church is raptured. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But here's my point. Here's my point. I just want to ask you, I, I taught all of this to ask you <laughs> this one question Are we ready? Are we ready? You know, if you ask me, John, are you ready? say, well, am I excited? Yes. Am I ready? I'm not ready yet. And it's not because of sin in my life. I'm not ready yet because of the work that needs to be done on this earth. There's a work that must be done. There's souls that must be saved. Hallelujah. I'm, I, I wanted to put all this in perspective. There's so many people living for 100 years from now. There's so many people that they won't do what God's told them to do because they're thinking about some plan that's 40 years in the future. Well, you, my friend, what if you don't have 40 years? What if we have three or four years left on this earth before we're gone? Can I tell you, Brother David King said something. He said, there's, there's a few things that you'll never get to do in eternity. One of them is win the lost. You, you only have the chance to win the lost on this earth. If you forfeit that chance, you'll never have the opportunity to lead anybody to Christ once that trumpet blows and we meet Jesus Christ in the air, it's done. Hallelujah. We enter into victory, but are we ready? (laughs) What are we living for? What are we doing? What are we focused on? What matters? What are we prioritizing our time and our money and our efforts and our gifts Why, you ask the question, John, why are we having church? Why are we doing these meetings? Why are we going Sunday through Wednesday? Why are we at the farmer's market setting up booth? Are you sick? Let us pray for you. Preaching the gospel to people. Because it's God's will that none should perish, but all come to knowledge of the truth. And then Paul said, how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can they tell them unless someone goes? How beautiful are the feet of those that carry good news, that come bearing good news? Hallelujah. We have a responsibility, not God, to win the lost. It's not God's job to win the lost. It's not an angel's job to, to, to win the lost and to preach the gospel. Jesus isn't preaching the gospel. We must carry the gospel forth on this earth. Hallelujah. If you ask me today, are we ready for, for the rapture? No, we're not. There's too much work to be done still. And you know what I am going to do is the Bible says, redeem the time for the days are evil. That means that you accelerate your efforts in a day. Hallelujah. How much would a church, you know, think about this. The average church, if it met on service, a, 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 one weekend service a week, that's 52 services a year. Did you know as of today, if you've came to all of our revival meetings since January, this is our 31st service since January. We have gathered in here and met 31 times just since January. Praise God. You think about what, what is that? That's Excel. That's us redeeming time. We don't have time to do this 50, 52 times or 53 times, whatever it is, a year. That's how many weeks. How many weeks are there in a year? 52 weeks in a year. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Y'all, and that's what it's all about. These meetings we're doing, they're not just for you to come spectate. There's impartation. There's joy. There's anointing. There's gifts. There's so much that God wants to get in you. They're all designed to train up the saint for the work of the ministry, to go and take the gospel outside of these four walls, preach the gospel to all creation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I pray that this urgency gets in the hearts of these people today. Brother Tanner, I'm going to turn it over to you, so go ahead and come on up. Lord, I know I just taught the word. That's what you had me do today is just simply teach what your word says. And I really trust that I don't even have to elaborate much more than what was already said, that your word produced fruit and that your word washed over these people. Jesus, you said that they were purified by the words that you spoke. Father, I thank you that the word went forth today and it just washed every person in here. They were washed with the word of God today. They received revelation, they received impartation from the Word of God, that even you've spoken to the hearts of some of them about things that must change, things they must give themselves to. Just a total redevotion of their time, of their efforts, of their life, what they're living for, and what they're willing to die for, Father. I thank you in the mighty name of Jesus for your word you released today. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.